Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and today... I'm here with Dr. Angie Ward. Hey, good to be on. So if you are listening to this podcast, most of you are kind of, I don't know, leadership junkies. So you probably already know who she is. If you don't, she has been writing and producing leadership content in our space for close to 30 years and has a background in church, parachurch, and is currently over the D-Men program at Denver Seminary. So yeah. thank Thank you so much for being here with us today. Yeah, so great to be on and to connect with you. So uh, one of the reasons she's on is because she has a, uh, a book that is dropping actually probably the day that you're hearing this podcast. Uh, it will be available for purchase. It's called Uncharted Leadership, and it is 20 case studies that are really about adaptive leadership because, you know, this time in our history is really... I think important, not just because of COVID, nobody wants to hear any more about COVID, but it's just the rap, the rapid nature of our culture and our churches and our people that we have to be really adaptive. We have to be open for change because if you're, you know, if you're comfortable, wait five minutes, it's going to, it's going to happen. So talk to us a little bit about the book and then we'll get into the podcast. Uh, yeah, so the book, it's almost, it's uh, envisioned as almost a workbook for Canoeing the Mountains by Todd Bolsinger. In fact, Todd wrote the oh. foreword for it. So, I mean, Todd unpacks, you know, more about adaptive leadership and I, and, um, and I, you know, kind of provide some foundational principles again for adaptive. And <clears throat> I'm sure, like you said, if listeners are leadership junkies, understand it. But just to clarify, adaptive leadership being um, leadership where there's not easy answers or clear solutions known solutions versus technical uh, leadership or technical challenges where there's generally a roadmap. Um, and so these are all real life case studies. And, you know, we kind of present all of them. Some of them are stuff that my husband and I and have lived through in pastoral ministry and our leadership and uh, others submitted by students and other leaders. And they get some of them get pretty messy, pretty complex. And uh, then there's different questions like what's really going on here? What are the different perspectives? I do provide an epilogue for each case as to how it played out. Some resolve neatly, most of them don't, but it's meant to be something that, you know, uh, a learning tool for sure, individually or for, for teams um, following kind of this case study method of raising questions, but not neatly tying everything up right away either, but getting you to really think. You know, one of the things I love about a book like this, and I actually mentioned uh, HBR's 10 best on a recent episode, but I don't think I, I mentioned why I love books like this so much. The, the thing is, when you're trying to take a group of people through a book, often what we're trying to do is I'm not trying to make you, you know, read this book for the sake of reading the book. I'm trying to have a catalyst for a conversation that, you know, we need to have as a group. And so I think the beauty of something like this is even for people who are not really readers, you can pick up this book, you can take, I don't know, two or three of these case studies and say, oh, this would be a good one for us to walk through. And Honestly, you know, whether it's a book like this or executive summaries or something, if you've got a group of people that, you know, aren't necessarily readers, don't 
force them, <laughs> don't force them to read. We all love, we love reading, uh, but not everybody does. So I think a tool like this is great to be a catalyst for conversation. How, what are some, actually, before we move on, what are some tools or things that you like when it comes to agile leadership or adaptive leadership? Are there any like practical tools that you kind of turn to or frameworks that, that, that you employ? Wow. Uh, well, I mean, you know, there's so many, there's good principles in the whole adaptive leadership saying just about taking a balcony view, getting a step back, that type of thing. But I really like Steve Cuss's managing leadership anxiety, yours and theirs, because um, it's, you know, there, there's a whole emotional piece of it and the space between in all of that, um, not just that's what makes it so usually the challenge is adaptive as opposed to technical. It's not just kind of task and playbook type stuff. It's all the interpersonal dynamics. And then there is a book. I don't know if it's still in print. The author is Jeannie Daniel Duck. She was at Harvard Business School um, and she spoke at a global leadership summit like in its early days and it was called right. the change monster. And it talks about the human forces that foil or something, something change. And she has a map of like, how the emotional journey goes for change. And I, I've used it in my teaching a lot. So this is a, this is going to be a great conversation. So first of all, I love Steve Cuss. And one of the things that I think, I don't know, the last time I heard him talk, we actually had Steve Cuss in for an employee gathering for Lifeway. Awesome. Yeah, he's and a Denver so, guy. So, you know, he's he's like practically my neighbor, you know. Right, right. Yeah. So um, the, the interesting there, thing there was really understanding that sometimes people will try to transfer their anxiety to you. Yeah. And as leaders, we know that that happens all the time and we have to be aware of that. I think especially when it comes to change, and especially when it comes to leading an organization, you're going to have people that want to transfer their anxiety to you. Yeah. Um, and you have to have a barrier up to be able to have a clean, clear, you know, point of view, as you were talking about, you know, I, I, I think a gallery view or what is uh, it? Balcony, I think it's a term view, yeah. Use, yeah. yeah. Um, and then secondly, that's, I don't think that's just on anxiety. I think it's also in generally speaking, um, chaos. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Which is, you know, a friend of anxiety uh, yeah. that sometimes wants to be transferred onto you or confusion or whatever. And leading a group of people through something, you have to be able to, you know, step back and, and uh, rise above that all, or else you're not going to get to clarity. You're not going to get to a decision yep. point. Yeah. And as a leader, I think often a big part of it is uh, it's almost like velocity of decisions. It, some, you're not always going to make the, the right decision, but making the wrong decision and then making another decision to correct that is way better than taking too long to make the decision in the first. Yeah. Yeah. I say that um, uh, leadership, there's a gift. It's a gift, a skill and an art. So some people are naturally gifted more than others, but you can always develop a, the skill of it. But then there's that art piece, which like medicine or teaching, um, it's like how much of the, the gift and the skill in what dose, you know, and what pace. And so, I mean, adaptive leadership, so it's all about pacing. That's what adaptive leadership is, that art of okay, knowing so the right stuff. Let's come back to change for a second, because... A lot of leaders will have read Cotter's leading change. For sure. Yep. Not as many of them will have read the follow-up by Cohen, which is the heart of change. 
mm-hmm. which talks about the emotions. It, it you know, yeah. every good book uh, or great business book that says it sells a bajillion copies, eventually they come back around to it. And so um, you're nodding your head. Yes. So talk to me about the emotional part of change management. Well, I think that is what is really, I mean, the core to change management. I mean, because any change in any, so my doctoral dissertation at Southern was on church organizational culture and systems. And so, I mean, in a system, every change changes everything. And so you're laughing because we're speaking the same language. We aren't are we? because yeah. um, there's nobody here to stop me today. People that are listening, there's no <laughs> co-host here to pull That's the brakes right. or to keep me from talking about Edgar Schein. That, that was the core of my dissertation. So, okay. yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, anytime there's change, there's that introduces um, disequilibrium into the system and then disequilibrium seeks stability. And when you have everybody bringing their own things in, you know, to that, to a change situation in, a, in an organization, then then it's not just what's going on in the organization, but it's what's going in, on in every individual person and in between every person in the system. And so it's just this very complex thing. So it, it really is all about how do you manage the anxiety, starting with being, uh, you know, um, non-anxious presence, Friedman, you know, but bringing that centered calm, aware presence thing so that you're not absorbing it, you're not just pushing back, but that balcony view. I mean, that's huge work and takes huge work uh, by us as leaders first. Uh, Quinn's deep change talks about that, how we need to do that deep change on our own before we put the, you know, before we try to lead a system or an institution or an organization or group through that deep change. And, but yeah, we're all uncomfortable in this and it's supposed to be, I mean, it's disequilibrium. We're designed for that, but that's where you start getting the stuff Cus talks about, you know, triangles and all that, you know, how we start seeking stability in all sorts of places, healthy, unhealthy, mostly if we're not aware of it. Definitely. And we've, we've certainly seen that as our world continues to, to change more and more. I mean, even if you think about the average person or the, or, or the average leader, or anybody who has, you know, trained for um, a long period of time toward being, you know, in a certain field of study, like it used to be 50 years ago, I could get a degree in something and I would be pretty, pretty good to go until I retired. And now it's like, no, you got a really short shelf life. If you're not adaptive, if you're not an adaptive leader and learner. And then the side thing that people are starting to do is resilience. You know, so personal resilience and organizational resilience. So being making the whole system more less change averse, just I mean, so not only dealing with one particular change, but going, hey, this is going to become we're going to bake this in and the ability to even manage that on an ongoing basis. So just a flexibility. There was a study. And now we're just having a conversation in front of people, but there was a study. I'll get to your questions whenever you're ready. (laughs) We'll get to the five questions. There there was a resilient study on pastors and I want, I I think it was funded by Lily. I can't remember. It's, it's fairly old. It's older. It's over a decade old. I can't remember who did it. Um, And it could have been through like Duke's clergy health initiative. Or I mean, some of those are Lily funded through these other things, right? I'm sure it was. There were six. It ended up basically saying there's six different things that pastors that leads to pastors resiliency, people that started and, you know, we're still in ministry 20 years later. Yeah. Yeah. And it's horrible that I referenced it because I can't remember it now, but I don't know. I'll probably, I'll try to find it and put it in the show notes. Here we go. Let's dive in. 
That was a preamble. That's preamble. First question is, who are you currently learning from? Well, besides you right now, this was just, this was awesome. Let's see, who am I learning from? Um, I'm actually learning right now, I'm working on a book about church and parachurch. And so I'm learning a lot from some church historians and and people just writing about the state of the church, kind of big C church in this time. And, we're, and so I live in the intersection of, of three kind of places in li- liminality right now. So church, uh, theological uh, education in general, and seminaries in particular, and all three of these things. Oh, actually, and within evangelicalism. So I'm I'm in these very shifting environments where so so kind of just learning to be resilient myself in the middle of that stuff. And my work is is developing leaders who are ministry leaders around the world because uh, doctor of ministry students have to be in ministry, and my students are like in their 40s, so they're all these these uh, inflection points in their life and ministry so 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 i learn from them and just walking with them through how to bring my full heart not just my head to the work that i do and the people i'm with any particularly good uh, books you've read lately or articles that you would point to? Uh, actually, I've been doing some. I actually read a book about internal family systems uh, and now in Inner Voice of Love. I, I've been going back to some of this internal grounding type stuff, actually. So it's been less about I, I finished this book, the Uncharted Leadership book, and then I was like, okay, that was immersion, immersion into leadership. And so I uh, did a personal retreat. I do a personal retreat right after commencement in May. And so I went for, to Benedictine Monastery for a week uh, and didn't talk to anybody. And so I've been kind of sitting in more quiet spaces and more listening spaces than um, devouring learning. But in two weeks or three weeks, we have faculty retreat and then I'm off and running again. Right, right. How important do you think that is to your life and work? It is, is which part? The retreat? Yeah. The sitting? Essential. Uh, I'm an introvert. One, I um, I need a lot of internal space. Um, I have a chronic illness that I manage that has some limitations on what I can do. And so I... Um, I talk about I have what I and I'll go through just quickly my S's that I have to, they're like my equalizer to keep in check so silence solitude sleep sweat I just went for a run this morning in 90 degrees but 90 degrees in Denver is not as bad um, <laughs> solitude silence sleep sweat Sabbath so weekly precious of that and then uncluttered space um, and so like my retreat gives me deep S's every right. you know my run gives me the silence the solitude the sweat you know kind of thing right. um those type of things so yeah they're essential they're the foundation for me uh, the silence and solitude longtime listeners know that i've not really ever done that and uh i will constantly you know i've interviewed like john mark comer every time we interview he's now busting my chops about I need to yep. go do this. Fine. Okay, so so um, Carrie Newhoff talk to me about Desert Fathers and something. Yeah, like, yeah, hey, Carrie, Carrie, just- yeah, yeah. Carrie Newhoff interviewed John Mark not real long long ago because he's making right. the round, right? You know, and so Carrie was going probably like you, like, oh man, I can't imagine. Like, I can unplug for a day, but then he said, "You spent all this time." I'd be like, "Man, it's it's time to get some get some work done or do some work," right? Which shows what Carrie was feel like. I heard that I thought. Carrie, the the time away is the work. Yeah, I just like, okay, so the way I I'm I'm with John Mark. (laughs) The way I relax is deforestation. 
like is just like I'll take a chainsaw and like that's awesome a trail or, that's awesome yeah I mean um, so so but you're you're with your thoughts I mean you're not right talking with about you don't have to do I, I don't think you have to do utter solitude retreat but I think you have to have to make space for what's in your head and heart yeah well no, regular it, I, it comes to solitude very quickly because suddenly uh any helpers I have all disappear there you go <laughs> Just you and the chainsaw. It's just me and the chainsaw. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's uh, let's move to our next question, which is, what's your main point of emphasis right now? I think you've talked a little bit about that you're working on a new book, but yeah, that's your... actually yeah. At Denver Seminary, we've just um, so I just became director after being assistant director for three years um, with a planned kind of a planned transition, uh, semi-planned thing, and so um, and, and I'm in the middle of a, a redesign of our program, so our doctor of ministry program and adding some different tracks uh, and courses and just re-envisioning kind of the whole thing. I think the bones were uh, pretty good of it, but trying to... So I'm, I'm in the process of not just redesigning a, a program in the curriculum, but also trying to develop a culture within our program and with right. our students and our faculty. And we just came off of two weeks of intensive seminars as we're recording this. So, so I'm getting to live out the stuff that I read about and talk about all the time, you know, right. and it was fun the last two weeks to just be immersed in the environment that I'm helping to shape that we're co-creating and to see it starting to take shape and impact people. That's so good. All right. So um, we've kind of already answered this question, but what are two or three things that you have to do every day other than a Sunday school answer of spiritual disciplines? So what, what, are, what are those things yeah. that keep you sharp? Yeah, I'd say there's some some daily time talking with the Lord, but a lot of it is a lot of good space for listening, not just telling, which is not something I was used to growing up. I mean, it was like you pray and you tell God you know, and maybe ask God things, but some space to listen. And I think one of your, one of your questions is um, something along like, and maybe we're getting to it about practices for leaders or something like that. I yeah. mean, I think the number one thing is, uh, um, is attuning our ear to the voice of the Holy Spirit as Christians. And so how, how, what are ways that you do that? For me, it's those silence, solitude, space, not getting so rushed. Uh, it's the um, Psalm 4610, one of the translations, and I don't know if it's NLT or whatever, but uh, instead of be still and know that I'm God, cease striving. And so there's a, ce there's a time of ceasing of striving. You're really just meddling with me today. I'm so sorry. You asked me to be on this, man. I know, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, that cease striving. And, and so, on a, you know, if, so on a regular basis, the other thing I have really that's critical that sounds, I don't know about dumb or, or like commonsensical is getting enough sleep every night. Because otherwise I'm on the edge and I'm afraid and I'm not, you know, I don't have that space of kind of peace and calm and non-anxious presence, you know, that Cus is talking about. So that and then I manage, I try to manage my energy, which Newhoff's book of At Your Best was really helpful for me Very about helpful. that. So not just managing my time, but realizing like where are the times that I should be peak, like deep work versus pushing paperwork, you know, kind of stuff like that. And I just creating wider margins and or maintaining those margins, which, you know, we talked earlier a little bit about COVID. That's so margins and that kind of space in your life is so countercultural in any leadership space, right. anything in our culture, and even in Christianity, because it's, we want to conquer for Jesus, you know, um, you know, all good reasons, but uh, he wants, God wants us more than what we can do for him. What's interesting about this conversation is um, 
I've done some work recently in this kind of area with somebody. And, and so it's, yes, it's the energy audit of, it's a great audit that comes from uh, at your best Carrie's book. Um, that's, you know, times of day, but also I would say if you can get, what are your main types of meetings? What is your main type of work? You know, all these things audit those as well, because there's some parts of your job that you're more passionate about than others. Yep. And then, as you mentioned, uh, making sure that you have margin for, you know, um, UFOs. So it's right. unforeseen occurrences. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've done, I've been doing that audit because uh, I realized coming out of my retreat, I was I was like, man, I'm in sixth gear all the time. And that's right. not I've been there for too long. I've been running too hot, too high, too fast. Well, how did I get here? Well, some of it was because I was in a new position and there's a learning curve and there were some things I did this, you know, it was a seasonal thing. But then there's other stuff. I'm like, how am I setting my not setting myself up for success with my pace and my work? So I I did an audit of like, okay, my job is five big categories. And then I realized how many little little rocks fill up, like the idea of putting the big rocks in the jar first and your little rock. And I just realized, you know, how many times there's UFOs, you know, there's people stepping in for 10 minutes, you know, whatever kind of thing. And on paper, you go, well, that's not much, but you add those up or they take you out of your focus, you know? So I've been doing that same thing that you're talking about. So um, I looked at, there was a a CEO three-part study that Harvard Business Review did on how they actually spend their time. Mm. And, you know, the recommendations that came out of that 12 week work year, Carrie's book, deep work, like I'm really wrestling through um, a lot of it. And so when you, when you synthesize all that stuff, it, it, it is kind of a compelling view of the way that, you know, you can maximize your time, you know, basically you're looking to reduce, prioritize, plan and execute. That's all what we all dream of. We know it's easy to write on the top of a sheet of paper. It's way more difficult to do it, but I found a thread that was through there that was really about going ahead and blocking time for those unforeseen events. And it was a random blog article that called them UFOs. And if I would remember, I I would totally give them credit. But yeah, I mean, I I love that concept because those are the things that just fly in out of nowhere that you don't expect. Now, the cool thing about that is if you have a one-on-one on your schedule and you have to do this now, you don't have to put that one-on-one off for another week or two weeks. It's something that can just slide into that spot. If you, if you, you know, congratulations, if if nothing fills that spot, then you've got a little extra time and we all know that that will be filled with something. Yeah. Um, But nobody's going to, I tell my, my students, I make them read deep work and those stuff you're talking about um, as they get into, Oh yeah. As they get into doctoral studies. Cause I say like, nobody has time to write a thesis and um, it also like, Everybody, in, when, when we're in ministry leadership world, they're like, you know, I never have enough time. I was like, well, let's take a hard look at what, you know, are you creating those spaces? Like you said, just no. And I tell them, nobody's going to say, let me give you extra time. Let me protect your time. You have to do it. You have right. to block out those things. So, yeah, my calendar has um, these chunks that are uh, they're blocked out, but they're blocked out for me. You know, right. and I can give, I control them. If I, you know, I can give them away if I want to, but somebody can't always just put stuff on top of that, you know? Right. So yeah, I have a, lots of protected space. All right. All right. Let's shift gears back into okay. the five questions. We only have two left. Okay. 
All right. What does leadership in your home look like? Is that a great question? Um, so we're empty nesters, my husband and I. We have a 24 and a 22-year-old. 22-year-old lives a mile down the road, which uh, just moved back, which is great. So, so, um, or I should say open nesters. Leadership in our home right now is very much here in Denver, which we moved here about three years ago. We are both uh, very much encouraging one another to fulfill our, our each of our calling. We have a his, a mine, and an ours in our ministry, gotcha. in our relationship. And that was a part of something we've had to navigate and figure out over, you know, 28 years of marriage. Um, uh, we met and married when we were students at Denver Seminary, and we both came with our own call to ministry. And so navigating that has been, you know, a journey for sure. And now it looks different in empty nest years. And so... Leadership in our home is largely, it depends on what area you're talking about. In some ways it's gift-based, but in other ways, I mean, it's a, it's a very collaborative kind of thing. We seek the Lord together and individually. And if we're doing those things, we hear the same things. That's great. How has things changed from when you had kids at home to now? Well, the amount of free time and energy, for sure. I mean, and we went from, I would, you know, my husband's been a pastor, so I was a pastor's wife, in quotations. Um, I was the trailing spouse, uh, work-wise. I mean, I, I'd kind of fill in stuff. We we moved here um, at my husband's urging and encouragement or um, for a position for me. And so we realized that strengths finder, he's, he's adaptable. I'm achiever. We were always in places where I had to adapt and he was expected to achieve. <laughs> and we're actually now in a place that fits both of us better where right. I'm leading this program. I can, I can do the achiever thing. He can be adaptive. He's so he, he's an interim pastor. He's working on his demon. I'm directing a program, you know, at a different school, you know, at Denver Seminary. You know, we have some overlap because we graduated from there. We have you know similar relationships, and then our shared ministry and time together is hospitality and encouraging developing leaders in our home um, or out for dinner kind of thing. Right. Um, so we have more time for all of that. Just a lot more flexibility because. Before we were governed by the kids' school year schedule, but everything was about the kids and the school year and the schedule. I mean, we we had time for some of our stuff, but it still took a back seat to largely, especially me as a mom. My life right. changed significantly when our kids left the house. Dave's did not at the time until we moved here, and then both of our lives changed. Right, right. Good deal. Okay, so go back in time. What oh, that's the you, question I was going to, yeah, yeah. Okay, what, and, go ahead, bring it, I'm ready. <laughs> All right, what <laughs> would you tell your 20-year-old self about leadership or leading? What advice would you give yourself? I would actually, this, that's the thing about attuning your ear to the voice of the spirit and being, uh, because especially as a female leader, but as leaders in general, and when we're managing all that turmoil and systems that we're talking about, disequilibrium, there are, there's a cacophony of voices, unhappy voices, confused voices, Confident voices who are who have idea, you know, like we joke about crew uh, used to have the, like the four spiritual laws, but it's like God loves you and I have a wonderful plan for your life, you know. Right. So there's no shortage of voices, external or internal, for us as leaders telling us what we should do, and a lot of those are rooted in fear or uh, that disequilibrium and that change, including the internal ones. And as a female leader in particular, there's more of those voices telling me what I can, can't, should or should not do. And so I wish I would have been aware of God saying, this is who you are, instead of 
all, all the external and internal voices because that caused a lot of turmoil and doubt and trying to be somebody I'm not created to be. Very good. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I feel like it. we need to have lunch and continue this sometime. I know. In- it's going to be, we, we definitely do. Whenever you come through Nashville, please let me know. Yeah, we'll be there for that uh, in October, right? For that thing we're working on together. Yeah, yeah. that's true. So, let's do it. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to Five Leadership Questions podcast. Again, Angie's new book is Uncharted Leadership. But if you go to her website and I will butcher it, I don't remember it, but tell them what your website is. AngieWardPhD.com. And while I'm I just want to thank you for hosting these conversations and for, you know, raising these conversations and questions for so many leaders and, and having this space. Well, you're a wealth of information. And the reason why I mentioned that is because if they go there, they can see the many other books that you've done and podcasts that you've done. Yeah, if you found this, if you found this conversation interesting, please go there and check it out and also go on to wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave us a great rating and review. Thanks for listening. 